It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome in to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at uh, topics of local interest. We got a lot this week with the trade deadline and Bengals training camp. Topics of uh, national interest and occasionally a wacky story or two. And as always, it's brought, brought to you by Joseph Chevrolet. Rick? Skinny, the Reds were as active as anyone in Major League Baseball at the trade deadline. They made three big moves. The big trade happened on Tuesday when the Reds sent Yasiel Puig and their number 12-ranked prospect, left-handed pitcher Scott Moss to the Indians, and top minor league prospect Taylor Trammell to the Padres in exchange for Cleveland's de facto ace Trevor Bauer. On Wednesday, the Reds traded Tanner Roark to the A's for minor league outfielder Jameson Hanna, the number 8 prospect in the A's organization, and second-round draft pick in 2018. Also on Wednesday, they sent Scooter Jeanette and Cash to the Giants for a player to be named later. What grade would you give the Reds front office for the moves they made at the trade deadline? I'll go B minus and maybe even a B. I know a lot of fans give it an F because they didn't want to see Puig go. They didn't want to see Jeanette go. I don't think they understand the economics of things sometimes. Um, they see the top prospect in Taylor Trammell getting traded, and what's that all about? Well, let's stop there, though, because I think that's like people are – so quick to say that all oh, the fans do this fans do that. I think that's kind of like the loud minority I think yeah, a, lot okay, of, fair. a lot of the real fans know this is trade is probably somewhere in between right yeah. I mean it's it's probably not the best trade ever and it's probably not oh this sucks they don't know what they're doing it's somewhere like in between that's why I'll, 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 I'll say B, like I said I'll give B B minus ish the only reason the B minus I, I don't like them giving up Scott Moss I don't know why you had to do that I think you're already giving up enough um, I think you got a little fleece there. You know, I did that top 20 prospects list uh, and look at them, what was it, two weeks ago. And out of the top 20, Scott Moss was one only one of two or three guys. I'm like, oh, well, at least he's making some nice progress. And he was actually making really nice progress. Um, let's take them individually. Let's go backwards first. Scooter Jeanette for the player to be named. Look, you did this obviously at the last second. I'm sh- I'm sure you're looking. You, you know he's, he's free agency eligible. At the very least, he was going to cost you probably in the neighborhood of ten million dollars next year. I don't think he was going to get much of a bump just because of uh, unless he'd have gone crazy over the last two months, and that's still possible. Um, there's nothing that says you also can't re-sign Scooter Jeanette after this year too. Right. I mean, I don't think they will. But yeah, they, I don't they, see him probably right. on the plans. No, agreed. Um, so that one to me is kind of a wash. He didn't get anything back, but at the same time, it, I'm, I'm that, saved a little money on the salary cap. You paid a little of the contract Correct. up front, but save some on the salary cap. Yeah. The, and it's it's a chance to see some of the guys behind him that you've well, that's got the part like too. Josh Van Meter and... I don't, I don't know if Josh Van Meter can be an everyday second baseman. I don't think Derek Dietrich can be. I don't know if Jose Peraza is, but let's find out for the next two months. Let's find out what, what that what that all can shake out. Could it be eventually a Van Meter Peraza platoon? Could it be a Van Meter in the outfield uh, with Philip Irvin platoon? We need to see what I mean. Philip Irvin needs a chance. I think I don't know why he hasn't gotten one, but he hasn't. It's small sample size. The guy's been pretty effective as a hitter, not just this year where the sample size is small and the results are high, but you meld his three cups of coffee together. I think he's got to create 800-something OPS. It's it's pretty good. I mean, he was a first-round pick. You thought enough of him at one point. He hasn't flamed out. I mean, I don't think he wow. I don't think there's anything he does that wows you, right? He doesn't have a lot of power, doesn't have a lot of gap power, maybe isn't a great average, doesn't have great speed, isn't great defensively. There's nothing great about Philip Irvin, but there's a 
Seems to be a lot of good, at least enough to warrant. Let's see what he's got over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think also we've been in the, talking about the middle infielders and some of those guys where it's like they've had moments, they've had flashes. None of them have really like separated themselves, but none of them really have had an extended right, shot right. either. You've kind of had this murky situation of your middle infield for the last two or three years, really, of like, oh, this guy's sort of a good stopgap, and Jeanette was that guy for a year yeah, and a half, two years. Yeah, it was, it was years. Co- Cozart into Peraza, and then second base, it was Peraza into Jeanette, and now it's Jeanette into, let's let's see what else. Right, and you had Jose Iglesias had a great year this year. You picked him up off the scrap I think they the resigned him. Yeah, I think they might too, but I this is these next couple months are when they need to kind of make some decisions about what is the future of their middle infield? Right. They've got to make some decisions on guys. Yeah, and Senzel could still be in the mix there eventually. I mean, could let's be. face it, in the offseason, if they go get a a controllable outfield bat and decide that Senzel is better served as an everyday second baseman, he could still be in the mix there. So the Jeanette one to me is kind of a eh. The, the row arc for Jamison Hanna, um, you, were, you obviously made the decision you were not going to resign Tanner Roark. I think we all agree that, that he was probably going to go. And so that made sense. You get a kid, you look at his numbers, they're not great. He's a, but looks like a slap hitting leadoff type guy. Um, okay on base. I think his, his OPS was in the mid to high sevens. I believe he's in high A this year. He's made, you know, he's only a couple years out of college. He was a, a former second round pick last year of the A's out of, out of Dallas Baptist, which you laugh, you're like, Dallas Baptist, they're actually a pretty good program. They're in the NCAA tournament, and so he was a, a big part of that. Um, so that one, to me, is, is you got something back for that. You did have to pay some of Trevor Bauer's uh, salary, or excuse me, uh, Tanner Roark's salary, so that one doesn't bother me. Again, the Puig one, I know he's a fan favorite. There's a couple things in play. A, he's a free agent, right? Qualifying offer, if you were just going to make a one-year offer, was going to probably cost you 18 mil, 17, 18 mil. If you were going to sign him long-term, you're probably looking three to four years. Let's go four years at 15 to 16 mil a year. Are you willing to sign? I'm just asking this generically. Are you willing to sign Yasiel Puig four years and $64 million? Well, you can still do that. Bingo. I mean, that's, Bingo. nothing's changed that's about it. that. That's the, exactly. That's the point. That's exactly it. And so don't freak out that suddenly they don't, they don't, and they may not. They may have no plans to bring Yasiel Puig back whatsoever. They may have said, look, we got what we got out of him. It was a fun four months. You, you played as well as we would have hoped, maybe even a little bit better. We're going in a different direction next year. We're going to do another renovat, whatever you want to do it. But that's exactly it. They could still do something with Yasiel Puig after this year. People being upset about Yasiel Puig being chipped out, it sucks because he was fun to watch, and for the rest of this year, you won't have that. But this team, let's be honest, I mean, are they completely out of it? No. no. But are they probably going to make a run this year? Do they look like, even if they somehow Rick, suck in the playoffs, can they make an actual run in the postseason? I've no. been the big believer that this is, this is an above 500 team from a talent perspective. But since the 1-8 and eight start, they have basically been a 500 team for a long period of time. Yeah. And I think at some stage, I even have to go, you are what you are. Maybe you do get hot here, and it does get really, really interesting. You could still do that. There's nothing that says you can't do it. It's not like Yasi. Look, Yasi gave you a right-handed power bat and for stretches would carry your offense and did some things. But he's also a guy that's really streaky and maybe you're catching him on a bad streak right now and it's, a, it's a, maybe August was going. I don't I don't know. I, I just have no problem with it. Um, well, I mean, he, he wasn't going to make any difference in the future of your franchise. You had him for a couple more months of a correct. season that you weren't really competitive in anyway. And then you were going to compete with him on the free agent market and you right, can still, you can do, still do that. Right. And he may have as much respect. You know, we talked about it last uh, show that if you, the Reds can basically sell him, hey, we weren't going to win. We gave you a chance to compete for a title on a team that's contending in, in you know in a division that that they have a chance at so let's 
let's move forward. Like, come back. Right. Uh, we, right. we loved you. Right. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe he's not as great of a locker room guy. As it se- you know, there's always been that thing about him as he's kind of tough to deal with. It seemed like he was great in Cincinnati from a fan's perspective because we always like, look, he's got everyone's back and he's fun. But maybe he was still kind of hard yeah, to no, deal I, with. You know? I, I just think this was a pure baseball move that said, listen, he was going to be a free agent. Let's get what we can get for him. No, I, and then we can compete for him on the open market. I, know I totally agree. Yeah. I just mean in terms of bringing him back, yeah. though. You know, whether yeah, you're going right. to bring him back, maybe they don't want him back as much as we all and, do. And maybe that's what you find out is when you're competing with other teams on the free agents. Maybe it's four years and 72 mil, and you just simply say, no, it, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. All right. I know people got over their skis about Taylor Trammell. I just invite you. This is not very hard for those of you that don't do it. I know a lot of you that listen do it, and you're brushed up on probably further analytical analysis than I am. Just look at his, look at all of his measurables from batting average, which I know you don't, people don't like to look at, to on base, to slugging, all tied to OPS. Just look at those numbers. Look at his strikeouts per game. He's striking out once a game. I don't. That's a too high of a number in Double in A. He was doing that prior, and every number you look at for him has gone down. The further up the chain he's going, hey, guy's got tools. There's no question about that. He's a highly rated prospect from those that do the ratings for a reason because he has tools. The production doesn't match it, and. I think a couple things. Obviously, the Padres wanted Taylor Trammell because of those tools. I think the Reds have started to realize, I don't know if he's really a future cornerstone for us. Let's get out from under it and see what we can get in place of it. And so what you ended up getting, and this is where I, the Moss one bothers me because I just I don't know if you had to give Moss up. I just don't know. The, the Indians, man, they did a, they really did a great job in, in this trade, this three-way trade. You, you get Bauer back. He is arbitration eligible, which means it's going to cost you for next year, but it's not going to cost you multiple years and multiple dollars unless you can do what you do with Sonny Gray, maybe work some kind of long-term deal out. The very least, at the very least, Trevor Bauer, for the first four months of next year is what Tanner Roark was this year. He's a guy that could be a free agent at the end of the year. Let's see if things are interesting. Let's see if we can stay in it. If we can't, we'll flip him for somebody else too. And and I I think that's where you kind of are until I've said this at not until your your minor league system catches up and it's got a lot of catching up to do. You're in that kind of running arm. The other part is now you do go into next year. Um when you look at remember last year you had to go deal for Tanner Roark. You had to go deal for Sonny Gray. You had to go deal for Alex Wood. Let's just say you sign Alex Wood for a year, whatever it is. You would have a rotation just going into next year of Castillo, Sonny Gray, uh, Bauer and um, Disclafani. Disclafani and Wood, you don't have to do anything to upgrade your pitching staff in the offseason. Then you look and you make your target towards a, a bat or two. And so you've, you're working from a position of strength going into next year. You were really not working from a position of strength going into this year. You were trying to patch together a rotation. You were trying to grab the the, the best uh, rent-a-bat you could and, and you did it in Puig. Now you've got a little bit, you've got a little more building blocks. Not a lot, but a little bit more going into 2020. Yeah, so I would say I'm with you on the overall grade of this to sort of bring it back. The the B, the B plus, I think is right. I like the deal overall. I've got Moss is the only one I don't. I, I that's the one to buy. I, I don't like that. So I I would come at it the the issues I have with it are a little bit different, and it's that we we've talked about since the beginning of the season, like what is the red strategy? What should they be trying to do? And we've kind of liked the idea of stand pat buy time for some of these younger guys to come up and sort of rent, buy yourself time with rent one-year players and we can keep doing that for another year or two or three or however long they need to do that until you get some of those young guys to come up and then maybe you have some stars in the pipeline. Well, one, we haven't seen the stars exactly developing yet, so there's no no clear-cut 
oh, they're one or two or three years away right now. We just don't know. Senzel, if Senzel has panned out, and that's been that's been a good thing. That was that felt like a can't as miss. a major league player. Yes, I don't know that he's a star yet. Correct, but, but he's a, he's a he's a solid contributing starter, and at the very least, it looks like that's what he's going to be for a long time. Right, and so I think the issue is you start looking at like what are what are they doing? What are they moving towards while they're giving away now? Three of their top ten prospects. Tramel was the third but one. They'd already they're all that good. They'd already given away Jeter Downs and Josiah Gray. And basically, what they've gotten now for all three of those guys, as it all turns out, Trevor Bauer, rid of Trevor Bauer and for Alex a year, Wood. for a year and a couple months, and Alex Wood for whatever a couple months and maybe another year if you're lucky. Well, you got him for two months. Basically. Two months, yeah. At the very um, end. and we'll see where it goes from there. You're going to have to pay for him if you want to keep him longer. So, from that perspective, just the the thought of the plan, right? Of you're playing for the future. You're trying to build this thing from the ground up and, and some of your grassroots developing guys. It starts to get concerning when you say you've given away three of the guys that were projected to be those top guys. And all you have is a year and two months of a pitcher who's kind of a psycho. Yeah. It, so <laughs> that, that that is a little bit concerning from just like a ph- philosophical standpoint. But I'm kind of with you when you start looking at these guys. One, they're not none of them have like really separated themselves and started to pan out yet other than Senzel is on the team. But in terms of the guys they've given away, none of them stood out to me as can't miss guys. And Trammell, I'll be honest, two weeks ago, we almost had it as as a topic of, are the Reds screwed by not getting rid of Taylor Trammell this offseason when everybody wanted him and he was such a hot commodity and the Reds basically said he was untouchable at different points, it seemed like. Did they screw up? Because... Tramel just keeps getting worse, it seemed like. And that's where I think they decided, look, let's just get out from under him. Let's get the best possible I, thing we can. And I, I'm, I don't I'm hate with that. that. I, I don't either. Quite honestly, when you're looking at what he is, which is a what ath- is he? athletic outfielder who doesn't hit for power, a, an average hitting, and he's not hitting for high average. He's probably not a center ups. fielder either because he doesn't have a great arm. No, he's probably a right or a, a left, left fielder. fielder. Yeah. And he is a, a good speed, not great speed, but good speed, yeah. a good overall athlete, a good fielder, and a good, he's supposed to be an average hitter, like a four average hitter as opposed to a power guy. The problem is, even at the lower levels, he's not hitting for that high of an average right now. And I know the jump to double A is big, but all I can tell you is every step up the ladder, the numbers have gone backwards. The the jump is big, but if you can't make the jump, then that doesn't scream can't miss prospect (laughs) to me. I agree. I mean, like, that's not a guy that I'm like, oh, you can't touch him. That's where I think when you see the ratings, people... People assume that means how close to major league ready guys like. No, you're just measuring the tool. I mean, Hunter Green is still the number two ranked Reds prospect. Right. He hasn't pitched this year because of Tommy John surgery. I'm not here to tell you that's the wrong ranking. It's just from a production standpoint, you're light years away from knowing what Hunter Green's ever going to be. Yeah. Then who's third? India. India. Who's done what? He to just this point? he just got promoted, I believe. Right. But what what has Nothing. he shown us to this point? Nothing. He, right. I mean, like that's the thing when you start looking at who the guys that at the top. Scott are, Moss had shown something. That's why it bothers me. Scott Moss had, was a left handed pitcher who had no. shown me something. Now, granted, he wasn't even a top ten prospect in the organization. I know, but so I, the guy was getting people out. That's all I know. I, I'm with you. Let, let's let's move on. We'll stick with yep. uh, sort of talking about the Reds here, though. They weren't. We mentioned they weren't really buyers or sellers at the deadline line, but they did make a really aggressive move to acquire Trevor Bauer from the Indians. It's a move that helps them win now, but then they also went and shipped off a few veteran pieces in Yasiel Puig, Scooter Jeanette, and Tanner Roark. What do you think the Reds' moves, particularly them trading for Trevor Bauer, says about their plans for right now in the future? I think it shows that they are in that kind of rent-a-player mode, that they're looking of a guy that, okay, he can give us X number of months to then let us try to sort out where are we going with the season, and 
that's kind of an Oakland A's model to a little degree. They're a little different with how they do it, obviously, and they were a little ahead of the curve, but they were always guys looking for value or looking for a rent-a-guy that either we're going to be in this because of them and then we'll add a piece or uh, we fell out of it and so we're going to flip them for something. And I, I, that's right. With Trevor Bauer, I got. I think it's I think it's the right way to do things for them right now. I think at the very... Again, he is arbitration eligible. He's not a free agent until after the 2020 season. And it, it doesn't preclude you then also from not signing him long-term. I don't think they do that. I think they do... Well, he's, the, he's already said he's never going to sign a right. long-term deal and that's his fine. career. He wants to go year to right. year the rest I, of his career. And that's fine. So you you have Trevor Bauer as a rent-a-pitcher for four months next year is what you got. And that's fine. I, I, that's why I said you look at that rotation going into next year, you're already light years away. I mean, think about where we were at this time last year. You're light years ahead of that. Yeah. Light years. Well, I mean, and the thing is, you've had two guys on your staff already this year pitching better than Trevor Bauer's current numbers. Now, he's had to step back right. since last year where yeah, he pitched he's still, really, really he, well. He's, he's still pretty good. Let me just say this. Basically, you've traded Trevor Bauer for Tanner Roark in the rotation. Trevor Bauer's a better pitcher. Yeah. Period. I mean, tre- story. Trevor Bauer has ace stuff. Correct. He has the best stuff on the Reds rotation so, right now. So in this staff, and again, I'm assuming the Alex Wood, that, that they try to get something done. Because they, they, there's some cost savings. I mean, you've got your out from underneath Puig, who was going to probably cost you 15 to 18 mil, and you still, we talked about, get him. Jeanette was in that $10 million range. Uh, Roark was made 10 this year, was going to make more. So you've you got about yeah about 35 to $40 million to play with. Some of that's going to be allocated, obviously, for Bauer. So let's say 18 mil goes to Bauer. You could still sign Alex Wood. And then look at that rotation. That is a damn well, good rotation. Well, you got an ace in Castillo, an ace stuff guy in Bauer. I think I don't want to go ace with Alex Wood, but Alex Wood is damn good. And I think then he's a number I've, two in most. I rotation. haven't gotten to Sonny Gray yet, who's been the most consistent pitcher on this staff, probably. A very good number two next to Castillo. So I got him at number four right now. Right, and that I mean, and Di Scalfani's pitch pitch better, and that's my number five. I'm great with that. It is a fantastic rotation. It's the best rotation in the Central, I think, and it might be. It's up there for best in, well, in the National it, League. It, yeah, and it's not. It's not Astros like in the American. No, it's <laughs> not. It's not the best in uh, the American League for sure. But in the National League, it's up there for. It best is up there in, in the league. So from that standpoint, and the fact that they were willing to give up Taylor Trammell all of a sudden, and again, maybe they felt this guy is not progressing the I way we that's thought exactly he did, what they and we felt. need to be out from under him, or maybe. They really feel like they're going for something next year. And that's sort of the message it sent to me. If you were going to give up your current top prospect, regardless of whether he's slipping or not, he's still only 21 years old and he's your top prospect for a reason. So you had to think there was still upside there. If you were willing to give him up now, to me, it sends a message that you are trying to play for something next year. And it says to me, there's another move or two to be made coming. Oh, I and think there it, absolutely will be in the offseason. Yeah, it's, it's going to be in the offseason. It wasn't going to be a trade deadline move. And I think some fans were bothered by that, that if, well, if you're going, if you're getting rid of Tremel, you better be going all in on next year, which I don't know is necessarily has to be the case. But I do think they need to make at least one more splash move to add a bat of some sort. Yeah, and I think they, I think they will. I think that's, and I think you also get a chance to see, is Josh Van Meter for real or is this just a guy? Right. Is it Philip Irvin? at least for real against left-handed pitchers, or is this just a guy? I, you got two months to find that stuff out. I'm great, I'm great with that. Is it realistic to think next year they're a legit contender, or is it you're fighting to make the playoffs and you have a decent chance to make the playoffs, but you're not really a team that's in contention oh, for a I, National I, League I, Division Series or I, anything? I think if you, if you felt like – I think if you're a fan and you think this team has a chance just to make the playoffs, you're giddy. 
I, I mean, look, let's just take a baby step here first. And you think, I mean, you have I, to think they have a chance to make the playoffs. I think with that they rotation, do. Right? I love it. I, hell, I think hell, it's fine. This team is right now is not that far away from making the playoffs. The problem yes. is there's a ton of teams like them in the national yeah, correct, league. Correct. Correct. No, no, correct. I, I, I'm, I, again, the Trevor Bauer one to me just tells me that that they, I think they, they, whatever their plan is, or, I think they have decided to go that rent a pitcher route and see where they can go from there. And I have no problem with it. I don't. I wish you had better prospects that you were leaning on. You don't. So if you don't, it's either this or finish with 95 losses every year. Yeah, and, and I do. I totally think that this is the way to win in the postseason is have legit pitching like No this. question. So the problem is you need to get there, and their offense has been an absolute mess this year. And they I think have that's to where, figure that out. And I think they will go after a bat in the offseason. That bat might be Yasiel Puig. But I absolutely love the concept of stocking up on as much pitching as you can get and adding another big-time arm, moving everyone down another slot in your, your starting rotation. Overall, I think it's it's they're moving in the right direction. In terms of this year, though, do you think they are better now after adding Trevor Bauer and losing the guys they lost, or do you think uh, it's probably a wash? I think it's probably a wash. I do, too, because you think Bauer and, and, helps you a few games, but you're also missing Puig in your well, life every day on a lineup and, that stinks. And you do have Alex Wood in the rotation, and he pitched pretty well in his first start, so you get him for two months of worth of starts, so that helps. And, and, I don't know. I mean, like I said, maybe Puig in August would have gone 190 with two homers and nine RBI, and instead it's going to be Philip Irvin and Van Meter combining to go 297 with a 450 slugging and a and a 400 on base. And again, sometimes you just don't know those things. But I don't. I don't think they're worse off. I I, I think it's it is kind of a wash. And Alex Wood is the wild card that gets added to the mix. Uh, kind of a funny wrinkle was yeah. added to this whole situation on Wednesday night when Trevor Bauer, less than 24 hours after finding out he had been traded to the Reds, showed up at Progressive Field for the Indians game against the Astros just to watch as a fan. Do you have a problem with the new Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer showing up as a fan to watch his ex-team play the night after being traded? I would have if he was due to start today for the Reds, but the fact that he wasn't, no, not at all. I mean, those were his guys. I mean, he's been with a lot of those guys for a chunk of time, man. I mean, he was also playing the Astros. Correct. A big time series. He's a Diamondbacks uh, draftee, but he's been with the Indians for uh, the the majority of his career, whatever, six, seven years it's been. So he's been with a lot of those guys for a while. No, I I, I have absolutely no problem. I don't know if you saw the the one with, with Roark, too. Did you see what happened to him? No. See, when he, fa- he was driving. I didn't realize he was going to do this. Oh, gonna, yeah, Arby's. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, he was going to drive from Cincinnati to Atlanta. Um, and sometimes starting pitchers will go a day or two ahead. A lot of times they'll fly. I don't know why the hell he was driving unless he kind of had an inkling that I better drive just in case something happens. And pulled off at an Arby's in, I think, in northern Kentucky, right? And then found out, hey, I've been traded. So, okay, turn around, go back, hop an airplane, and go where I got to go. Yeah, I assume it's the one on buttermilk right I, there if I, you're coming back 75 I, from the ballpark, that's right? That's what I'm thinking. Well, that's what it's got that, That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, he was uh, headed back to the house he lives in in Atlanta during the offseason. And uh, that's got to, I mean... What, what a weird life. I mean, I don't feel bad for any of these guys. They have an unbelievable career and opportunity. Yes. But what a weird life to just have that be always be a possibility. I mean, unless you have, you're have you a veteran with a no trade clause in your contract. And that's the thing. I mean, these guys have, have in oftentimes multi-millions of dollars. And so it's not like suddenly you're looking going, man, I got to find yeah. the mover. It's going to be yeah. hard to, you know, I got to pay. They're for, not being put out. I got to pay for rent here and my mortgage there. And I got to juggle that. And we got to sell this house here. But again, it's still, there's logistics involved. There's families involved sometimes. I mean, kids get a little rooted in at times. It, it, it's not an easy thing. Yeah. It's just anytime you've got to uproot your entire life, it's got to be a it, weird feeling for no sure. question. And you're just leaving all your 
teammates, colleagues, friends, yeah. all of that stuff. Did, so, did you have a problem with what Bauer did? I didn't have an issue with it, but I think it just does speak to the fact that this cat is different. He's different. I mean, he didn't. And I don't. It's not like you're going to be in the clubhouse or anything, or up in a suite. But it just seems weird for him to be standing around there in the. Uh, Concourse? At concourse area. Thank you. Him walking around the concourse taking pictures with people and standing around is just so bizarre to see. I mean, now that he was with the team last night, he just got traded. I can't recall seeing something like that I, before. And he held a little press conference on his own in the media room with media yeah, members. Yeah. I mean, just He's this guy good. is a strange cat. There's no doubt. The whole harassment of that girl on Twitter was just bizarre. And throwing the ball over the fence is probably the least bizarre. One of the least yeah, bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I don't... That thing doesn't bother me that much. The only thing is, man, the torque on that, ooh. Yeah, it's not good for his arm, probably. Have you ever uncorked a couple of throws in anger? Have you ever done that just mad at something and just uncorked one? It's the worst. It is if, the worst. Unless you're loose. Like, if, oh. if you're pitching like him, it's not nearly as bad because you're already ready for it. But if you do it at, like, at this age where you're not loosened up and you oh. just grab something and chuck it... Oh, man, you will throw your shoulder right out. I did that after losing a game once back back in the day and... It, it, I, I, when he threw that, it did, like shot a pain down my arm. Like I remember doing that myself, and oh, it's just uh. the worst. Is you ever do it with like a tennis ball or something that's too light? Oh yeah, it doesn't have the. Oh, yeah. that's yeah, that's where that's it really stupid. hurts. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I, get you. Hopefully, it didn't do anything to him. That's that's my only fear. Is what did that throw do to him? Yeah, I think he'll be all right. I, I mean, the right. man throws ninety something. That's I think good call. He'll be, he'll be okay. Um, on the same night that Puig, Trammell, and Moss were traded for Bauer. Another kind of funny circumstance happened when the Reds got into a brawl with the Pirates that created a lot of national buzz. It started in the seventh inning when Pirates pitcher Keane Kala threw above Derek Dietrich's head. Of course, those two have bad blood from earlier in the season when Dietrich pimped a home run off Kala. In the eighth inning, David Bell got ran for losing on home plate umpire while Yasiel Puig was arguing balls and strikes. And then in the top of the ninth, Amir Garrett was jawing with the Pirates dugout and proceeded to take off on a sprint in that direction and took on the entire team, setting off a benches-clearing brawl that even brought David Bell back out of the dugout. What was the most entertaining part of the brawl between the Reds and the Pirates on Tuesday night? In your I, I, got, I got two. One is Amir Garrett when it was all said and done. Yeah. Just standing there like, I'm the man. I took all y'all on and y'all didn't get me. I mean, he... If he would have connected with of, that punch, it would have oh, been bad in a certain way, but also yes. everyone needs to see it connect. Correct. Correct. The thing, I, he took them all on. Yeah. Didn't and he care didn't care. Didn't care at all. And he... You know, he's, he's a former basketball player, so you don't think of... Uh, he kind of has, like, that basketball body, right? He doesn't look like he's, like, cut. And he is. He's a big guy. Yeah. And he, he just doesn't look like the guy that would be the kind of badass. But if you remember back earlier when the bad blood between these two teams were going on, Amir Garrett was front and center. He was going he was going to kick somebody's ass. Yeah, and well... And he he put, was not afraid of he it. He played on a St. John's team that had some dudes that I wasn't necessarily trying to mess with, <laughs> if, if you know what I'm saying. So, so I guess you had to get through those practices if you're Amir Garrett. Yeah, so I think he's legit, legit legitimately about that life. I thought that it was just like the fact that he was so willing without even thinking and didn't he even, even care. told his coach essentially that I'm going to go fight their entire team and didn't even think twice about it says that the Pirates are the softest team in baseball because this is not the first time that's happened. Yasiel Puig tried to take on their entire team Correct. earlier this season. Correct. The Reds have zero hesitation when it comes to fighting these guys. The Pirates want nothing to do with them. They've got that weird crick dude doing the hump move at Puig instead of hitting him. Like, what was that? That was the most embarrassing part of the whole situation was Crick screaming at Puig. Puig runs at him. Someone gets in between him and Crick just humps at him. Yeah. That just was straight humps. No, the, the other one to me is, is the great camera angle of David Bell sprinting for the dugout, making a beeline right for Clint Hurdle. Just WWE now, moment. He, 
there's a part of me that wanted to see him just haul off and, and almost sucker punch him to a degree because that's where that I mean that was the angle he was going at. Yeah. And instead, he kind of gave him the the bump. They got separated, and then David Bell fell on his back real quick, and then it got yeah, bad for him. Clint Hurdle's a big man too. I mean, yeah. Clint Hurdle's a big dude. Hurdle had nothing to do. With, I, I mean, you're right, but Hurdle had nothing to do with it. It was like a trip situation, and then everyone rolled on. Oh top yeah, of yeah, no, Hurdle but was yeah. separated. But but it, when when because David Bell and I don't blame. I think Clint Hurdle, he's a menace. He yeah. really and truly is. That, that that team is a menace. Because it, it's not just the Reds and them; it's them and other teams. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember uh, our our digital uh, editor Mark Jusak. He he saw a tweet and he said, "I still can't find the origination of it," but he said that he saw a stat that said nine point eight percent, or basically one of every ten brawls that have occurred over the last few years have involved the Pirates and somebody. Yeah, because that, everyone knows Clint Hurdle was doing this correct. and letting his players do this and telling his players to do this correct. type of stuff. And the thing is, I I know that that, that and I've heard not good things about Keone Kelly either, that even back in his Ranger days, he's just yeah, a bad guy. He, he's a bad guy. The thing is, it seemed like all debts had been paid, right? Everybody, the, the, it was, was over. It with. was over with. And I know that I guess Calla didn't get a chance to pay his debt, whatever it was, for Dietrich because because of the last time. But all debts had been paid. Dietrich had been plunked. Dietrich had been thrown at. Both teams had gone at it a couple times. All debts had been paid. And instead, he wants to start this crap up again. And I guarantee you, it was sanctioned by Clint Hurdle. I guarantee it. Yeah, and then the thing that bothers everyone in all teams in Major League Baseball, not just the Reds, what bothers them about the Pirates and Clint Hurdle is everyone understands the code and the unwritten rules of baseball and all the old school bull crap that still gets done where guys plunk each other, but you throw at a butt. You throw at a butt. They keep zinging people up at right. the dome. You right. can't throw at people's heads, especially not in 2019. Correct. You never, no one ever thought that was a cool thing to do. But you, it happened back in the day a little bit more often. And people, you know, just say, "Oh, you rung your bell." You don't do it anymore. It's not. No one is okay with you doing that. No one thinks that it's a tough guy thing to do or an old school thing to do. It's just you being an absolute I, jerk and, and taking people's lives in your hands. I've told you, I, I don't mind some old school baseball stuff. I don't even mind some of the buzzing of the buzzing of the tower, knocking a guy down, or hitting him in the. I, th- I think you're right. If you're going to th- throw at somebody intentionally, it needs to be in the lower region. Hit him in the thigh. Hit him in the butt. Even in the back, it's not going to kill you. Um, but it still comes down to Major League Baseball. If you want to put this down, Keone Kella gets 30 days, 60 days for, for doing what he did. Amir Garrett gets 30 days for the fight. I'm sorry. I, I love what he did. I'm not telling you I think it was the worst thing in the world. But he gets – you have to make these penalties so harsh that guys just aren't going to do it. And, yeah. and, and teams aren't going to allow them to do it. You're not If you know your pitcher is on a short leash in an organization like the Pirates because everybody knows what they do – and you've been warned or whatever, or the guy buzzes the tower and the subjectivity of the umpire is, I thought that was intentional, and that guy gets 30 days, that stuff stops. It's just going to stop. I'm just telling you right now, it stops. Yeah, instead of suspending starting pitchers for five games, which means they miss one start, who cares? Correct. Like, that's going to make them stop doing anything. I still wish David Bell had slugged Clint Hurdle. I I really do. I I, I really wanted that Crick guy punched in the face. (laughs) Puig could have ended him. Archer could have got ended a couple times. Yeah. I mean, hey, what were the Pirates doing? All of the Pirates were like either up against a rail, getting up from having their face beat in. The only guy who hit the deck or was ever in a vulnerable spot for the Reds was David, David Bell. Bell right. He was the only one that was ever in a compromising position. The rest of the fight was just the Reds mopping the floor with the Pirates' faces. I mean, it like the Pirates are an embarrassing franchise. I, I will say it made me watch. I was in the Bengals locker room yesterday, and we got out just um, just shortly after the first pitch. We got out at twelve forty five, and uh, the game started at twelve thirty five. And um, 
as we're walking out, some of the equipment guys were putting stuff together, and they had the game on back where they were, and we heard them yell, and I'm like, oh, no, here we, it's on again. Well, Winker just hit the home run. Yeah. And I thought for sure, I thought right after that, because Votto, Votto mounted the night before. Yeah. I thought, oh, here we go. He's go he, it's, They're going to buzz him. They're going to buzz. I really swore. I'd have sworn something was going to happen. I can't believe Winker didn't stand there and stare at that home run for 30 seconds before he exited the box, because that's call. exactly what I would have done I in that situation. You hit a first pitch home run after yep. that stuff. You've got to stand there and pimp it as long I as you possibly I can. I don't disagree. But credit to him for being a decent human being and not a, a jerk off like myself. <laughs> Skinny disaster struck on the first day of Bengals training camp when A.J. Green went down with an ankle injury. Green underwent what the team termed a minor ankle procedure on Tuesday, and first-year head coach Zach Taylor said there's a good chance the veteran receiver will miss multiple early regular season games, saying, quote, hopefully it's not more than a couple of games. How much of an impact do you think A.J. Green's injury will have on the Bengals' season? Um, I'm going to throw that on you. How much of an impact do you think he's going to have? Well, obviously, A.J. Green is going to have a big impact, but how? But in terms of this injury on the entire season, I, I will, think it could be significant because I think this team is going to be very much like an 8-8 eight and eight type team. I think they are very much po- probably going to be in the mix of 500, as most NFL organizations are. And I think this division is going to be very up for grabs after the Browns. It's going to be the Browns and everybody else is probably fighting to get to 800 or fighting to get to 500, eight and eight. So I think it's going to matter a lot if without having the best player, if you lose two games. Yeah, I think that will definitely matter. This team cannot afford no one to hold. And here's what I'm going to tell you why I don't think it does. I think what you're saying is correct, but here's what I don't think it does. I, I think the fair target date for him to return is the Monday night game against the the, the Steelers, which would be game number four. Um, there's no way he's he's at least missing a game or two, as Zach Taylor pointed out. That so we're we're already there. Usually, if that's the case, you're going to have another week to get yourself in football condition, get your body right, all those things. So I, I'm I'm just going to again. I may be in the pessimistic mode, but I'm going to target the September 30th game against the Steelers game four, which yeah, means he get, misses three games. Get an extra couple days practice on that long week. Yes, Makes correct. Sense. Correct. All right. They weren't beating Seattle with AJ Green, correct? They weren't going to Seattle and winning that game. Probably not. Okay. I think they beat, they can beat the 49ers with or without AJ Green. And I think the 49ers are going to be better. I think they're going to be pretty good, but it's at home. And I think they still have enough to win that game. I hope you're right. All right. Game three is the one that's in, it's, it's, it's at Buffalo. AJ Green would certainly give you a significantly better chance. But you're also playing a non-playoff caliber team, uh, you know, a team that's eh. I think it's a 50-50 game. And yeah, that's the one where I could say, boy, I wish A.J. Green. So if A.J. Green is back for that game, though, and it's just the first two, I think you were one and one anyway. Yeah, but here's the here's my other problem with it is you've got a new head coach, a new everything, right? a new nope. system. Everyone's trying to mesh together. And now you... you I guess the part, though, Rick, that, that I, I think you can... Hopefully, you would have all other hands on deck. Yeah. And as the season progresses, you're probably not. I can't see a, a scenario that Tyler Eifert makes it through 16 full games. I can't even see a scenario where Joe Mixon makes it through 16 full games. So at least in those early games, other than A.J. Green, unless something else happens in camp, and it, it could, it's football, guys get hit and guys get hurt. It's part of the game. You would have all other hands on deck in theory. And I think you can maybe muddle through and survive that. I don't think you can muddle through... A lengthy period of time without A.J. Green, obviously. I think we've seen that in the past. I think he muddled through without A.J. Green, and then if Eifert gets hurt, and then Mixon misses a game, and then somehow Tyler Boyd misses a game, and then, oh, Andy's hurt. You can't that, that you can't deal with any of that. I think for a couple of games, and especially one that 
Honestly, you could bring back Anthony Munoz and put him at left tackle, and you could bring back whoever, just name somebody and put him at another. But you're not beating Seattle. Seattle, so that, that's a wash, and I think you beat the Niners with or without him. And so then it comes to the Buffalo game, and it's a toss-up, and I, yeah. See, but that's exactly my concern. You've got, okay, so you're saying they're probably one and one but what happens if, because they're a new team without their best player and they're trying to get on the same page, they're now 0-2, and, and then they go to Buffalo and it's a toss-up game, and yeah, AJ's back, but... He's not quite on the same page because everything's a little bit new and different, and he's not getting the ball enough because they were trying to go too much to Joe Mixon, legit. and the, the balance wasn't right. And now all of a sudden, you're three games in, and you're 0-3, and, and you should have been 2-1. That's exactly what I'm concerned about. Is not that they can't survive. It's the what-if of everything is new. And yeah, Andy and AJ have been playing together a long time. They're going to be get, able to get on the same page. That It's not like their yeah, chemistry yeah. and timing is just going to be completely gone. I'm more concerned about, like, the entire offense trying to find the feel and balance and flow of play calling and everything. What if they're just not on the same page of how they need to use AJ best within their new system? And it takes three weeks to figure that out. That is more what I am worried about is the fact that he's getting no reps between now and then. And then once he gets back, you're, you're right in the middle of trying to get things right. And if you're Owen one and you, you all of a sudden you're Owen two or one and one and he comes back and things aren't right. Things could get really bad really quick for I, a team that can't afford it because I, I, they're going to be around 500 at best. I think he's such a veteran. He hits the ground running if he's healthy. I mean, he, 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 he's I, awesome and wide receiver. And I know it's not. I know it's not a new offense. So, yeah, I know it's not a new offense, and it's it's apples to oranges. But Julio Jones isn't going to take any reps in training camp. You think he's going to be okay when the season starts? Yes, of course. And, and again, if if everything was coming back exactly the same, I'd say it doesn't matter. He'll as soon as he gets back in, he'll be AJ Green. My only concern is, and look. I mean, how smart do you have to be as a head coach to know, get the ball to number 18? Sure. Not that smart. So I imagine in terms of positions and guys that you're fitting back into the mix, he's as, he's the easiest there is, right? I mean, yeah. he's the, the an one, elite player and he's a wide receiver. So. The one that's disappointing they're missing is John Ross because we were hoping to see what this new offense could do for him. And here he is with a hamstring and God knows how long that's going to be. So I, 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 look, I'm not here to be dumb enough to tell you A.J. Green does not matter. A.J. Green matters a ton. The guy's a Hall of Fame caliber player, and you don't have a lot of those. But I just think in terms of the games he misses, I think I think you'll be okay. I really do. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I mean, again, I, I think they absolutely can, but I'm just not. It, it makes me feel very uneasy that he is not going to be there to start things and this whole time. All so. I know is after watching the first padded practice, they got more problems on the offensive line than they do with A.J. Green, so they better start fixing that first. Well, we, we can talk about that as well. Uh, first, though, Bengals wide receiver Tyler Boyd criticized the field conditions at the University of Dayton after teammate A.J. Green injured his ankle, costing him six to eight weeks. Boyd called the turf at Welcome Stadium terrible Tur- after practice on Saturday. Quote, the turf was terrible. I couldn't run any routes out there. I'm falling all over the ground. It was bad. It was rocks, pebbles out there. Man, it was somewhere we shouldn't have been. I'm not trying to say any excuses, but it is what it is. Of course, Zach Taylor came out and said the, the he didn't conditions had nothing to do with any injuries. And um, the city of Dayton is now defending the public school system up there is defending Welcome Stadium as well, saying it is safe for their athletes to play on. Skinny, do you think the Bengals made a mistake by taking the team to Welcome Stadium and Dayton to practice? I, I don't, and, and there are two separate things. I don't think the A.J. Green injury was caused by the field whatsoever. I think that's there, there's two separate things. I also think what Tyler Boyd said is right. It was it was odd. Before practice started, um, Jay Morrison of The Athletic and I were kind of staying on the side just shooting the bowl and watching him stretch. He looked down and he goes, those aren't those little pellets. that look like pebbles. He kind of reached down and scooped up a handful. Nigga, we're on the sideline, mind you, right? And I said... Man, those are pebbles. You're right. That's a little weird. But I thought, okay, I'm on the sideline. Maybe stuff gets swept, you know, swept off the field to there, and that's just kind of the sediment of of what's there. Then to hear the players talk about 
that being on the field, it made me go, well, that probably wasn't the, the best place to, to practice. It was also, it was a very light practice. Um, they weren't in pads yet. The injury was very freaky. It just occurred on a ball that was underthrown, and A.J. went up, Drake Kirkpatrick went up, A.J. came down, got his foot caught underneath Dre, and that was that. I don't think the field really had anything to do with it. But again, there are two separate issues here. There's that, and then there's the fact that it was not a, a great a great playing service. I mean, even the person defending the stadium said, well, for a 14 year old field, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. The average, it's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's suitable. Average shelf life on those things are like seven years eight, and eight they, to 10 years. And they use that field. Yes. Nonstop for high school games. It's the university of Dayton's field. I mean, and the same person said, well, maybe not suitable for NFL caliber players. Yeah, well, then okay. Then maybe, then not, maybe you shouldn't have, I don't, here, here's my thing. I think it's very smart and you need to do things like this for the community. It was a great turnout areas great turnout those types of things are smart to do for your fan base you need to engage your fan base and the Bengals haven't always been the best at doing so so i applaud them for thinking they need to do things like this and i agree however it's probably not the smartest idea to just you know like not think about things like the field conditions of the field you're going to be practicing well they did a site visit and i guess you know through the site visit they thought it was suitable i mean but that's the issue like probably look at it and be like is it suitable or is it ready for NFL players to be practicing on it? And there's, those are two different things. You know, I mean, like there were years at Georgetown where they'd go up on like that side field. And it's like, we can't use this this year. This is not safe for our guys to be on. And they'd stick down on just the actual turf, nice practice field. That's something to me. And again, I don't think it had anything to do with AJ Green's injury, but if your players are complaining about it, that's probably not a good idea if you're an NFL and, and I would team. tell you, it felt like Tyler Boyd, and I'm not calling Tyler Boyd out. I mean, I, I think he was honest, but I also think he was, somebody suggested you need to put this on the record of, of what this was. I've even reached out to the NFLPA to see if there's going to be a grievance filed. They said they're going to look into it. Um, I, I, don't think a, I don't think a grievance gets filed. It could. I don't think if anything comes of it. I, I do think that, um, I do think moving, <laughs> moving forward, if they go back to Dayton, it would probably be West Carrollton where they've gone before, which is a grass a grass surface. Um, I don't think they would go to UD. I, they, this is and that's the thing. This is not the first practice they've done in Dayton. They used to do them every year. They didn't do them the last last couple, which I was thankful for because West Carrollton's a nightmare to get in and out of. From from my own personal perspective, the Welcome Stadium is an easy in and out. Um, I do think it's still. They, I think it is important to them because it is a declining fan base that you need to touch. A community like Dayton, and um, I, 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 again, I don't have a problem with what they did. The field probably they needed to do a little more due diligence on. I'll give you that part. Yeah. I have never seen pebbles on a turf field. What is that about? It, I, that's it, not a thing. It is. It was weird. Uh, it bits was of weird. Tire bits of all that stuff. Where, where did they get? And, and pebbles I would say to I, take care of their turf. I think he said it was rocks. I don't. I don't. I don't think there were rocks. See, no, to me, you rocks. Just, you just said there were pebbles. Though, no, no, I don't. No, no. But he says rocks. Yeah, rocks yeah. That's to me, probably. I'm, when you hear rocks, what are you thinking? You're thinking a big. Bigger yeah. rock. I don't yeah, think no, that. But, but, but there were little. There were little pebbles. Yeah, but I think that's more what he was trying to say. Is it's not the sand stuff that you are the quick dry sand stuff that you all are thinking of at home. It is pebbles, like you're yeah. saying. Yeah, and that's where I'm sure he he clarified or tried to clarify there by saying rocks because I've never seen that on a turf field. No, oh right. Yeah. You, I mean, I remember some of the older ones had more of like a mixture of like oh, hard old, stuff and beady stuff, yeah, like older, black beads. The older ones were awful. Though. And then the newer ones are just the tire yeah, stuff from what yeah. I've seen mostly. Yeah, and um, they got a little spring to them. You can feel the spring in those. Yeah, those. I don't mind those. No, I don't mind those either. All right. The last question here on the Bengals. They have held five days of training camp so far, and you've been at every one of them. So I simply ask you, aside from the A.J. Green injury news, 
what has stood out from the first handful of days at training camp? Yeah, unfortunately, they lost the uh, the, the uh, Tuesday practice, uh, which was going to be a padded, the first one in pads to the thunderstorm, so they had to make it a walkthrough. So there had only been one padded practice so far, and the defense just killed the offense. And so you would go, oh, cool, maybe the defense is better, and maybe it is. I mean, I, the, the guys on defense that I've talked to love the way Luana Rumo, the defensive coordinator, teaches. They love his energy. Um, Jesse Bates even said yesterday they struggled a little bit early with some things. And he said, Lou Huddles together, told us a few things, and we got it right. And they did. They absolutely dominated. The scary part is, and they've got a couple new wrinkles. Um, they had an interesting set where they put five defensive linemen on, on a first down play with it was, I think it was Andrew Billings or Ryan Glasgow on the nose, and then Geno Atkins and, and one of the other ones next to him. So those three kind of inside. They had Sam Hubbard standing up on one end and Carlos Dunlap standing up on the other end. They put Carl Lawson in that spot as well. So it's almost an old-school five-man front yeah. to where chances are Sam Hubbard's not going to drop into coverage always, and Carlos Dunlap isn't going to drop into coverage always, but they can. It also gives you, in theory, five pass rushers on a first step. If you want to, We're, we're going to show you we're going to try to stop the run with five linemen, but we also have two pretty good pass rushers on the end you want to drop back and pass we're going to come sending five at you and if you don't help on the outside they're going to get you and if you don't help on the inside 97 is going to come through and i i kind of like the wrinkle i like it and by the way those aren't blitzing linebackers or or cornerbacks coming off the edge that's a legit pass rusher that you're running back or someone's going to have to chip and i think it also masks the fact that they still are very thin at linebacker they've they've gone with a lot of that five two i like that i like that because they don't have linebackers and it's such a passing league you're playing with so many defensive backs now they're a little thin at that spot too but they certainly have more depth there yes and and more ability there more you know the guys at the top are much better there i'll be honest linebacker i don't think they want to play much three linebacker based defense i don't don't want they want to at all i think they want to go either with this five two look or when they go nickel it would be a four two and then five defensive back look i and, and I kind of like the wrinkle. It may be out of necessity, but I do like the wrinkle. Why make a three linebacker set your base defense when you only use it for one down? Well, I don't mind. I don't. I don't mind it if you have three capable linebackers. I don't either, except for the fact that, that you la- don't. Last year, how many times did we see them stand? They're right. a nickel, right? Seventy-five percent of the that, time in today's and, NFL, and that's usually the case. And that's why I think I like the idea of a f- if your if your first down base defense now is that five man front. I think it's an interesting way to do things. And, I do and like too. I said, I think people can go well. That can can this guy spin into coverage? I mean, you can do different things. You don't have to rush all five. You can drop a guy. Carlos Dunlap's got great wingspan. He's great at the line of scrimmage tipping passes. You're not asking him to go cover a, a, a tight end 20 yards down the field. You're probably going to ask him to drop into a zone. Same for, for Hubbard. Hubbard's a good athlete. I mean, my goodness sakes, he was a safety in, in, in high school who bulked up to be a defensive end. He's a really good athlete. Um I, I like the wrinkle. I think I, I'm looking forward to it in live action. And we saw it a little bit yesterday with the with the padded practice. Like I said, they just dominated. I mean, they uh, they did a scoring system. Zach Taylor said the defense won the day 18 to three. So that shows you they they kind of dominated. The flip side is offensive line wise. I mean, you're down. You know, Billy Price hasn't practiced yet. I think he will when it finally matters. Um, Christian Westerman struggled day one at left guard. He got the first string reps. And when you get to the depth port, I've, Andre Smith, I mean, Carl Lawson went around him like he was a statue, and that was even with Andre getting out of his stance early. So um, the depth is not great there. They just didn't look great. There was, you could tell, there's a lot of things they're trying to do with misdirections, and um, it, it, even Andy was asked this, and I haven't written it yet. Um, some other people may have, but when the quarterback goes back with a lot of the play-action stuff, they're turning their back to the defense, and, and you, you, it doesn't sound like a lot until – 
you have to get used to doing that. Andy's been used to on play action going back where he's still looking at the defense off of a play fake um, or just going on a straight drop back. They're doing a lot of things where he turns and fakes and bootlegs or turns and fakes with his back to the defense. So you got to get used to that, that when you come out of that spin, you got to make a quick read, right? It's just it's just a different way of, of doing things, and it looked completely discombobulated. And hey, on day one of a padded practice, I didn't expect that to look like suddenly the, 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 the Patriots right. or the Rams, for goodness sakes. So... Um, the offense is a work in progress. I'll, I'll say that. You got to be super training camp guy here. Uh, get, give, give us the name. Give us the name of the guy. My who's, guy who's standing out. I'm, I'm going to write about him on Friday tomorrow on Friday when the podcast is up on Thursday. I'll write about him on Friday. Damian Willis, who's an undrafted rookie free agent wide receiver out of Troy. Last chance, you guy, right? Uh, is that, he on is that, that he's Mississippi? Uh, I don't know if he's last chance you guy. I, you know I, what? I, I talked to him. I didn't. I didn't. If I knew that going in, I would have asked him that. He did go to the junior college right out of, out of, out of high school because he wanted to get a bigger offer. He was funny because he said, he said, you know, Troy offered me out of, out of high school, and I'm glad they stuck with me. So he ended up going to Troy. Goes undrafted. Got good size. He he's shown enough already, Rick, that he was running some first team reps at wide receiver. Now you're down John Ross. You're down AJ Green. So you're down. In what would be your three wide receiver set, you're down two potential starters. But Damian Willis has done nothing. He made a great play in a one-on-one drill yesterday with a one-handed catch. Um, he's he's been outstanding. Yeah, it says uh, on his Twitter last chance, you guys, okay. last chance you season one and two alone. There you go. So there you go. So that's that's always what we want to hear is who's the fringe guy who's he's really going to end up be on like a practice squad or something. I, I mean, if you're running first team reps, and I know it's early in camp, they they think a lot of you, and they keep Andy's talked about him, Zach Taylor unsolicited. I talked to Bob McNeil, the wide receiver coach. They love him. I, I and you watch him. He's not a burner, but yeah. he's got good size. He catches every. He caught a ball in a eleven on eleven non padded drill where he went up. High pointed in between some some defenders, made a diving catch another time. I made a great, I said, make a great one handed catch in a one on one drill yesterday. Yeah. He catches everything. Jed Jed Demusi sent out video of that one handed catch that he made. Yeah, which it was, was great. A very nice catch on the sideline there. So, all right, that, that that's the stuff we always need to hear about training camp. Who's who is that guy that he's is playing the, he's the well? Guy. That, yeah, that, he, that is actually going to make no difference during the regular he's season. That guy. And by the way, for the Malik Jefferson fans, I know there's a lot out there. My man's got a lot of work to do. That's not he's good. got a lot of work to do. Well, it sounds like that linebacker depth is coming along great. Yeah. All right. Skinny's changed topics here to finish it off. LeBron James made headlines to close out July despite the NBA being at a lull in the offseason. James was filmed getting into layup lines with his son Bronny's AAU team while they were playing in tournaments. He was also caught on camera stomping around and flexing after a dunk by Bronny and running on the court and losing his shoe while chest bumping another kid after an impressive alley-oop finish. My question for you is, what do you make of LeBron James getting into layup lines with his son's team and running onto the court while celebrating like a bench mob squad in the NBA? I think he is an, he is extremely narcissistic. I mean, he is absolutely an attention grabber. Hey, look, I'm glad you're spending time with your kid. I think that's great. I mean, that's being a dad, and I think it's great that you're enjoying his success and even a teammate's success. I think that's pretty cool. But I think it's a little bit much. I mean, if honestly... I know it's LeBron James, but I coached, as you know, I coached AAU, and I I, I like my parents a lot. None of your none of your dads come back from the I, stands. I, I did have one that could have gotten in a layup line and dunked because <laughs> I played some pickup with him, and he did dunk, and he was a pretty good player. But he never even thought about doing that, and if he had done it, I think he realizes what might have happened. What, what would you have done if one of your parents just get in the layup line? I would have said, 
get you and your son and the rest of the crew and see you later. What if he... Everybody gone. What if it was just a normal dad, but he threw down like a LeBron James-esque dunk? Would you be okay with it then? And be like, I okay, still wouldn't be, just no, don't I st- do it again. I still wouldn't be okay with it. No. You'd let it go. I let him do it, believe it or not. He would do it in... in he'd come to practice at the end of practice. They, it, he'd, he'd start dunking for him. And I, I always thought that was fine. I got no problem with that. But uh-huh. again, this is... Let's say LeBron's got some... He's narcissistic. Come on Yes, now. absolutely. This is... So... I'm so torn on this. And at the end of the day, I come out on the side of it doesn't bother me. And I think overall it's a positive thing because, and here's the reason why, because some kid on really all the kids in that gym that are playing in that game are going to be able to tell that story for the rest of their life. No question. And they will tell that and story for tell the rest that. of their life. I would life. tell that and story. And it'll be a cool story to tell. Correct. And the kid that gets to shake his hand or like there was a story that he said to one the kids on the other team said, Hey, I hope I'm still in the league when you get there. That kid has no chance of actually making <laughs> the league according cool. to his dad, but he said, he'll, my kid cried about that. You know, it was one of the coolest things that's ever happened to him. He'll remember that forever. So when it comes down to that, it's a positive thing. I don't think, like, I think it is cool that even though it's a narcissistic thing to do, it's a total weirdo move to do as a dad. And we would, we would not let anyone else get away with this in normal life if you weren't an uber celebrity who's the best basketball player in the world like LeBron James. But since you are that guy, in a way, it's kind of cool that he understands. I think part of the him being a narcissist and his ego that we have to accept is we made him this. Sure. We made him the 24-hour celebrity sure. that's always on. He was one of the first uber celebs that was also growing up in the viral social media era. Yes, he started a little bit before that, but we've been watching every move this guy made since he was 16 years old. So... Yeah, he probably does think it's always time for him to be the show and always time for him to stand out and always time for him to do something and use his platform to do something for someone else and and be part of something. Yes, it's narcissistic. Yes, it's bizarre. But I think we have to accept it at this point. Yeah, and and the reaction to his son dunking, I have no problem. That's just a natural reaction. And if you go to any, and you've been to far more AAU, high-level AAU than I've coached, that's just the reaction of people when they dunk, when when it's a dunk in an AAU game, especially for a younger guy. I mean, if it's a younger guy dunking, uh, it, it's just, it's a, it's special. It's not something that you've seen a thousand times over. It's still it's still pretty pretty cool to see. I, I got no problem with that. Now, as a coach, I told you that we played a team in the finals of a tournament. They were out of uh, either Alabama or Tennessee. I can't remember. We played them in Louisville, and the guy who was coaching had his iPad out trying to film all the dunks. He wanted to film us, and I said, "Ain't nobody dunking on us today." I'm just going to tell you that. that nobody's dunking. Just remember, nobody's dunking. And so. We almost got in a fight. Nobody dunked, though. I'm shocked about that. Like, nobody dunked. Skinny called a timeout to tell his kids to start undercutting guys. <laughs> nah, I, didn't, I didn't specifically. I just said, nobody's dunking. Just know that. Nobody's dunking. Don't be a jackass and try to film that stuff on me. Not as a coach. <laughs> Parent wants to do it. That's fine. I, I, I got no problem with that. They were really good. I mean, he was just trying to get his uh, kids' mixtapes out there so they could get college looks. Skinny. I'm sure He's doing it all. He's the video video coordinator and, and, the, the, co- and, the, co- and the coach. It's okay. a bootstrap organization it was have yeah, a lot of dollars. complete grassroots yeah i i you know i i think the one thing that i do really like about this whole group of nba players and granted so many of them sponsor teams and they yeah. have sons that yeah. are now playing in it so that's why they're there but i do think it is cool that you keep seeing so many of these guys that just love basketball that are willing to even if it's not their kid or their aau team playing they come and they watch and they sit and they cheer these kids on and they know about sort of the next who generation was, of studs was steph curry filmed uh who was the kid that that uh that had that dunk where he bounced it off the floor. I mean, it was a complete throwdown. It's a younger... Oh, yeah. I, but but again, Steph Curry, that was Steph Curry's video that actually I think ESPN used. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think some of that's true. And you're right. 
I mean, I'm trying to think of all the guys I, I coached teams against, the Eric Bledsoe All-Stars, the yeah. George Hill All-Stars, Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon All-Stars. All-Stars. Um, and those are local ones. Correct, I mean. yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I pretty much was a regional regional team that I coached. Right. So, I mean, we didn't go, uh, you know, get, you know, the King James, they, they, I played in that tournament, coached in that tournament. So, I, I think that part is cool. I just think the whole layup line, that's a little step too much for me. Yeah, and the funny thing is we don't see like any of the other NBA players doing that, right? Like that is just LeBron doing the overtop. And this isn't one-time thing by the way Correct. like it just caught it just went viral this week and that's why we're talking about it now but we've almost actually had this exact topic on the show before because there were times earlier this year where i just wanted to hear what you had to say about lebron stomping around on the sidelines and flexing because he knows everyone is filming him like Correct. He, there's 20 mixtape cameras in the gym because they want to film his son's team which has some really high level yes. players aside from his son on it uh, and they're playing high level teams as well because they're on the nike eybl circuit is rayvon Ray griffith the local kid still on that team I you know? no, I don't think okay. so. Because they played together. Uh, they, they may, they may I think, have. Or, or was it? Was it? So there was a local kid that played on that team. It was either him or it was uh, Paul McMillan's son. One of the two of them played with with Bronny's team. That's all right. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. But anyway, just. But yeah, that that uh, I don't know where we. But yeah, you know, that that whole situation I think with LeBron of of just making a scene and knowing all those cameras are on him and he's doing it for the show very clearly. It's such a weird thing to watch because it's like. None of us would do that. All of us think that is unacceptable from a social standpoint. But yet, how can you get mad at this guy for doing that when we forced him to be that way for his entire life, basically? And, and I would say 99.7% of the dads, even if they have a high-level sons or whatever, just playing even medium-level AAU, they can't even get in the layup line to make the layup properly, <laughs> let alone throw one down. Am I right? Well, yeah, Am that, I right? Yeah, that that the whole layup line thing is just a, no, a whole other step. But the and by the way, him stomping around and chest bumping guys like on the floor and stuff is not even the most over the top celebration at the AAU event oh. from that weekend. I mean, like the stuff you see at AAU events are just you, bananas. I mean, you know me and my I I had to tune a lot out just because I'm just a big. I'm a big scoreboard guy, and if we win at the end of the day, that's all I need to say to you. But, man, some of the stuff, there's times I want to turn around and go, boy, your kid just made a great play, and you're down 22. Shut up. One of my favorites, um, Jalen Johnson, who, yeah, uh, yeah pretty big-time recruit to Louisville, his mom at one of <laughs> one of his AAU games. Mom, at moms are interesting. Yeah, there was a, a call, and she came down. I mean, it was a, a call and arguing, obviously, and the game had kind of come to a stopping point for a little bit as the rest were sort of talking amongst themselves. And she's screaming at them, and she's probably 6'6 herself, a big lady. I mean, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but she's a big, intimidating woman. She comes down onto the floor with her cell phone out, and she walks right up to a ref, and she snaps a picture of his face, and she says, I'm reporting your ass. And he goes, to what? And she goes, I'm reporting your ass. It's just, it's just <laughs> all. It's just doesn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. You just need to know that she had his picture and yep. she was reporting his ass. Yep. So Ho- Hopefully he's hopefully survived that report, whatever it was. <laughs> you know what? I, judging off of uh, how AAU refs typically look, I'm thinking he, he did all right. Yeah, I'm sure he yeah. did too. I'm sure he was available for the next weekend of exactly. AAU tournaments. Exactly. Cash money, brother. That's all I know. All right, Rick. Appreciate it as always. Enjoyed it as always. Had a lot to talk about. We'll be back one week from today to talk more. We'll start our tours of college football camps, bringing some guests here on the show uh, coming up in the next few weeks as we inch towards college football season and the NFL preseason. The Bengals will have a uh, their first preseason game uh, next Saturday in Kansas City, so we'll talk about that and whatever progress they're making or lack of progress they're making and much, much more. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet.